You're gonna do what you're told. Get out of the car. This is really messed up. Get out of the car. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Please talk to me. Don't grab. Don't grab. Why am I being treated like this? Because you're black. And this is America, dude. Sorry. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, thanks. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950. KTNF up in Minnesota. And we are also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome to another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Let's start with some headlines today because there are a lot of them. Uh, Lots of them, uh, really, a whole bunch, and I suspect that we will barely be able to hit a few of the most noteworthy right now. But we'll start here. President Joe Biden will withdraw all troops from Afghanistan by September 11 of this year on what will be the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks on America that were coordinated from that country, according to U.S. officials on Tuesday. The decision postpones what had been a May 1 deadline for full withdrawal under a peace agreement that the Trump administration had reached with the Taliban last year. But Biden has been hinting now for weeks that he was going to let that deadline lapse as it became apparent that an orderly withdrawal of the remaining 2,500 U.S. troops still stationed there again some 20 years after the 9-11 attack that they were sent in response to. Well, that that would be difficult and increasingly unlikely to pull them out by May 1. Senior administration official told AP that the drawdown would begin instead on May 1, about two weeks from today, and culminate uh, no later than September 11. The president decided that the deadline for withdrawal of U.S. forces had to be absolute 
Rather than provisional on conditions inside Afghanistan as the deadline neared, the, uh, the, the previous deadline, the senior administration official uh, said that uh, we are committing today to going to zero U.S. forces by September 11 and possibly well before, adding that Biden concluded that a conditioned withdrawal would be a, quote, recipe for staying in Afghanistan forever. Of course, while they say it's an absolute deadline, Desi Doyen, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm hoping for the best here, but I'll uh, I'll believe it when we see it. Well, that, that has enough, pretty much but... been the way that it's gone for the last twenty years. So yeah. So Desi, mark this show, mark that <laughs> comment okay. uh, that we can use on September 11 this year. Just for fun, if needed. Uh, According to the administration official, the only U.S. forces remaining in Afghanistan will be those deemed necessary to protect diplomats in the country. An exact number has yet to be decided. I say 2,500 should be perfect for protecting the diplomats. (laughs) Surprise. Me? Cynical? What? After 20 years of this? Yeah, maybe a little. I will uh, look forward, however, to being wrong. Biden's decision uh, risks retaliation by the Taliban on U.S. and Afghan forces, possibly escalating the 20-year war. I guess that would be his decision to not honor that May 1 date that had been set by the Trump administration. But in any event, I guess if uh, the uh, retaliation escalates the 20-year war, we're going to leave anyway? Okay, good. Uh, There are also concerns it will reignite political divisions over America's involvement in what many have called the endless war because for 20 long years it has been. An intelligence community report issued on Tuesday about global challenges for the next year said prospects for a peace deal in Afghanistan are, quote, low and warned that the, quote, Taliban is likely to make gains on the battlefield if the coalition withdraws support. The report says the Afghan government will struggle to control the Taliban. Well, then I guess I guess we all better stay then a little bit longer. Isn't that the idea that the intelligence community continuously says that there has to be somebody there in order to prevent these things from getting worse? And oh, look, it's getting worse. So we have to stay. Well, that is what they have said for the past 20 years. We'll see what happens uh, this year. Uh, In news on one of our other many wars, uh, one that has resulted in 188 times as many Americans dead as those lost on 9-11 when almost 3,000 were killed versus the more than 562,000 that have now been lost over the past year due to the coronavirus... Yes, it has been the equivalent so far, in case you're keeping track, of 188 9-11 attacks over the past year so far. Uh, And while we have been gaining some steady ground in that war of late, we may have lost a bit for now as of today. The Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Tuesday morning recommended a pause on administering Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine in response to six reported cases of blood clotting in the U.S. among those who received that particular vaccine. Now, I should note, that the J&J vaccine 
uses a completely different type of technology entirely from the all new type of messenger RNA or mRNA technology that is used in both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. They just work completely differently. What they do, how they uh, prevent infection uh, by the virus are just totally different. Pfizer and Moderna are essentially the same for purposes of this conversation. Uh, J&J is more like the the typical type of vaccines that we've been using for years for the flu, etc. Whereas the mRNA technology, after having been tested for about 10 years, is now being actually used in the vaccines made by Pfizer and Moderna for the first time, for real, to combat the new coronavirus. The director of the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research and the CDC's principal deputy director released a joint statement on Tuesday morning stating that their agencies would begin reviewing the six reported cases of blood clotting this week. Until that process is complete, we are recommending a pause in the use of this vaccine out of an abundance of caution, the official said. This is important in part, they said, to ensure that the healthcare provider community is aware of the potential for these adverse events and can plan for proper recognition and management due to the unique treatment required with this type of blood clot. Right now, they noted these adverse events appear to be extremely rare. More than 6.8 million doses of J&J's vaccine have now been administered in the U.S., according to the officials, resulting in six known cases of blood clotting. That's six out of six million doses. 6.8, in fact. Yeah, J&J responded with a statement saying that the company is, quote, aware of an extremely rare disorder involving people with blood clots in combination with low platelets in a, in a small number of individuals who have received our COVID-19 vaccine. They said that they are, quote, uh, working closely with medical experts and health authorities and strongly support the open communication of this information to healthcare professionals and the public. White House COVID-19 response coordinator Jeff Zients, or as I like to think of him, the Zients of science <laughs> said on Tuesday that federal health agencies recommendation to pause the uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine would not cause a major disruption to the Biden administration's vaccine rollout. Zients said that uh, in a statement, this announcement will not have a significant impact on our vaccination plan. Johnson and Johnson vaccine makes up less than five percent of the recorded shots in arms in the U.S. to date. He noted that 300 million doses of Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine were secured by President Biden, which means that there was, quote, more than enough supply to continue the current pace of vaccinations of three million shots per day and meet the president's goal of 200 million shots by his 11th uh, by his 100th day in office. During the FDA and CDC's press conference on this announcement, Acting FDA Commissioner Janet Woodcock uh, said that the pause was expected to last for, quote, a matter of days. So that seems to be what we know by now. Shortly after the uh, uh, announcement was made, the recommendation was made, several states announced that they would immediately cease the distribution of J&J's vaccine. And as yet 
Another new front opened over the past 24 hours or so in our other endless domestic war. This one against systemic racism in policing pretty much everywhere in the country. But in this specific case today, notably just about 10 miles from where former Minneapolis police uh, officer Derek Chauvin is on trial right now for the murder of George Floyd, an unarmed and handcuffed black man whose neck was pinned under Chauvin's knee for nearly nine minutes until the life was choked out of him. A white Minnesota police officer who fatally shot a a different black man during a traffic stop in a Minneapolis suburb on Sunday and the city's police uh, chief of police now have both resigned on Tuesday in moves that the mayor said he hoped would heal the community and lead to reconciliation after two nights of protest and unrest. Officer Kim Potter and police chief Tim Gannon Both resigned two days after the death of 20-year-old Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Potter is a 26-year veteran. Uh, She had been placed on administrative leave following Sunday's shooting, which happened as the Minneapolis area was already on edge due to the trial of just the first, by the way, the first of four police officers uh, to be tried in George Floyd's death. Chief Gannon uh, has said he believed Potter mistakenly grabbed her gun when she was going for her taser, which is seemingly supported by her own disturbing body cam video that was released on Monday, released within 24 hours of the incident. Interesting how quickly they can release body cam footage when it might uh, show something, you know, that exculpates the uh, the cop in question. Other than that, it seems to take sometimes months, sometimes years. Sometimes court orders. Yep. In any event, that video reveals her shouting, Taser, Taser, before she then shoots right uh, with her service weapon instead. Brooklyn Center Mayor Mike Elliott said that he was, quote, appreciative that Officer Potter submitted her resignation, but that he had not asked for it despite two days of protesting, demanding that she be fired. The mayor said he was not sure if it was because uh, that that she had resigned because she had heard that she was going to be soon fired, but that her her resignation would, quote, bring some calm to the community, uh, even as he vowed to keep working toward, quote, full accountability under the law, whatever that may turn out to mean in this particular case. That's what we're going to continue to work for, the mayor said. We have to make sure that justice is served. Justice is done. Dante Wright deserves that. His family deserves that, he said. The mayor said the new police leadership was committed to working with community leaders and protesters who say that Wright was racially profiled when he was pulled over reportedly for expired tags on uh, on his car only to end up dead. You know... That sort of thing happens all the time to you and me, right? After firing a single shot from her handgun, the uh, the car speeds away and the officer uh, Potter is heard saying, holy expletive, I shot him. Wright's father, Aubrey Wright, told ABC's Good Morning America on Tuesday that he rejects the explanation that Potter mistook her gun for her taser. Uh, He said, I lost my son. He's never coming back. I can't accept that. A mistake? 
That, he said, doesn't even sound right. This officer has been on the force for 26 years. I can't accept that, he said. Protests, meanwhile, erupted for a second night following Sunday's shooting, heightening anxiety in the area that is already on edge uh, during the Chauvin trial. Potter herself is said to have experience with investigations into police shooting. Officer Potter was one of the first officers to respond after Brooklyn Center Police fatally shot a man who allegedly tried to stab an officer with a knife in August of 2019, according to a report from the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. After medics arrived in that case, she told the two officers who shot the man to get into separate squad cars, to turn off their body cameras and not to speak to each other. She was also the police union president for the department and accompanied two other officers involved in the shooting while investigators interviewed them. On Monday, hundreds of protesters had gathered hours after a dust to dawn curfew was announced by the governor. When protesters would not disperse, predictably, on Monday, police began firing gas canisters and flashbang grenades. I'm sure that made everything better. Forty people were arrested. In, uh, in nearby Minneapolis, 13 arrests were made, including for burglaries and curfew violations, according to police. Brooklyn Center is uh, a suburb just north of Minneapolis. Wright's death on Sunday prompted protests in other U.S. cities as well including in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, where uh, police said a demonstration turned into a riot Monday night with some in the crowd throwing rocks and other projectiles at officers. And in fact, uh, there was, in fact, rioting and looting as well in Brooklyn Center on uh, on Monday night. As disturbing as that video was, however, and it was <laughs> obviously very disturbing, uh, it was actually another video of yet another police confrontation with a black man, which was also released on Monday, that in one sense, I, I, I got to say, I found it to be even more troubling. And I know that's uh, strange because in the um, in the Dante Wright case, the guy was actually shot and and killed. But, uh, you know, and the man was not killed in, in this other video. Still, I find it. Uh, well, for a number of reasons that I'll explain uh, to be even more disturbing. In, in this case, Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring announced on Monday evening that his office of civil rights would be investigating an incident in which a police officer pepper sprayed a uniformed black army medic while the man was sitting in his car, not being threatening in the least with both of his hands up and out of the car window as he was being incredibly, ridiculously polite while attempting to cooperate with the officers who were pretty much freaking out from the very beginning of this uh, of this video. The man uh, with his hands out of the window uh, was Army Lieutenant Caron Nazario. He was pulled over during a traffic stop back in December. But the videotape of what happened during that stop, as incredible as it was, that was only released to the public anyway on Monday. And I find it wildly disturbing. Uh, the body cam video footage of the arrest became public 
in the middle of Lieutenant Nazario's lawsuit against these two officers, Joe Gutierrez and Daniel Crocker, who pulled over the lieutenant and held him at gunpoint when he drove through Windsor, Virginia, back in December. The footage shows Gutierrez shouting at Nazario to get out of the car. While the, he's an army medic, he calmly asks, with his hands up, you know, and out the window, why he was being pulled over at all. At one point, the uniformed Nazario tells the officer calm, calmly, I'm honestly afraid to get out of the car. To which Gutierrez responds, yeah, you should be. Why should he be? Several seconds afterwards, Nazario says, I'm actively serving this country and this is how you're going to treat me? Officer Gutierrez is then seen firing the pepper spray at the lieutenant's face as he calmly sat in the car, again, as absolutely no threat to either of the two officers who both had him at gunpoint. Here's just some of the audio from that uh, from that video. I don't know if it adequately gets across just how outrageous the behavior of the cops were, but here you go. What are you, a specialist, Gordon? What are you? I'm a lieutenant. Get out of the car now. Get out of the car. I'm honestly afraid to get out. Can I yeah, you, you ask you what's be. going on? Can get you out. please relax? Get out of the car right I'm, now. Man. This is not how you treat a vet. Uh, I'm actively serving this country, and this is how you're going to treat me? I didn't do anything. Whoa, hold on. Wait. What's going on? Hold on. Now he's spraying him. Yeah, oh, get out of the car and get on the ground now. You're going to get it again. I, I don't even want to reach my seatbelt. Take your seatbelt off and get out of the car. I'm just going to just please. You're going to do what you're told. Get out of the car. My, this is really messed up. My dog is in the back. My dog is choking right get now. Get out of the car. Yeah, this is really messed up. This yes. is really messed up. This dude was sitting in his car. He was trying to obey the officers. Uh, he was no threat to them. He had his hands out. Why is that? Why does the cop take out pepper spray? And spray it into his face at pretty much point-blank range? Well, if you'll note, there's also conflicting commands. Keep your hands out of the car, but also reach down and unlock your seatbelt and open your door as well. And conflicting. He, yeah, and he, he speaks at one time when, you know, when he's saying, uh, you know, I, I, I want to get out, but I have to reach for my uh, seatbelt. And he keeps saying, I'm going now to reach for my seatbelt. He is obviously absolutely terrified and uh, boy, I'll tell you, good on him for staying calm, talking to these uh, police and trying to say, OK, I'm now reaching down to my to release my seatbelt. And they're like, yeah, we know. Do it. I, I, you know, with a gun in his face. Yes. The uh, there was absolutely no threat that he posed. And that was clear. And the fact that the uh, the older cop, the one that ended up getting fired, continued to escalate the situation rather than just calmly explaining why he was pulled over. He kept yelling at him. The, the soldier said, I don't have to get out of the car for a traffic stop. Why are you doing this? What is this about? Please explain to me. They had reportedly pulled him over because his vehicle did not have license plates. 
According to NPR's report on the uh, on the lawsuit that Nazario has now filed, lo- the lawyers state that the car was recently purchased. So it didn't have license plates yet, but it did have two temporary plates inside the car. Those paper plates that you get when you when you buy a new car that were taped to the rear of the window and to the passenger side. And indeed, the license is visible in the body cam video. Which, which should have been the moment at which they stopped the traffic stop. And it, it was exceptionally clear that, you know, you could see that license plate in the window because Lieutenant Nazario had had the foresight when he was initially flagged uh, and, and uh, to be pulled over on a dark highway. He had the foresight to slow down, to turn on his hazard lights and to pull basically into the first safe and well-lit place that he could find, which was a gas station about a mile down the road, reportedly. And boy, am I glad that he did, given how these characters were behaving, as opposed to being out there in the dark. Lord only knows what would have happened to him. And, uh, you know, we, we never would have heard about this incident at all, perhaps. Because he might have been dead. The Windsor Police Department announced on Sunday, again, more than three months after the actual incident, that there would be an internal investigation into the incident. Three months later? Oh, okay, great. There's going to be an investigation. Take your time, boys. Also, that Officer Gutierrez, he's the older one, the main instigator here and the most abusive of of the two cops, according to the video, that he had been terminated. Good. So Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring told CNN that the behavior of the officers, uh, as seen in that recently released video footage of the incident, was, quote, appalling and dangerous. He said, under no reasonable use of force policies that I could say was any of this conduct permissible. The attorney general said that's why an investigation is important. Well, yeah, and it also would have been important three months ago. But he said it's also important to find out, is this an isolated incident? Well, of course it is not, Mark. Or, he says, have there been uh, reports in the past of unconstitutional policing or brutality or complaints about it, uh, about these officers or about the department? Because if so, he said, then we've got more work to do in order to put a stop to it, to root it out and to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yep. Newsflash, Mr. A.G., you've got a lot more work to do, in fact. Clearly, this was not these officers' uh, first time at the rodeo, and I can only take comfort in the fact that Lieutenant Nazario did not end up dead here, which, I hate to say it, is almost more surprising than the outrageous behavior of the two cops. And, of course, I, I don't mean to belittle the incredibly disturbing video of the killing of, of Dante Wright in Minnesota. But, you know, watching this tape from Virginia would seem to suggest that this is the norm for these cops and for how black people, black men, I suspect, in particular, are routinely treated by cops, even when they don't end up dead. So we're far less likely to actually end up hearing about it or seeing video of, of, of what happened, of what these black men are put through every single day in this country that they have to be forced to live with, that a uniformed member 
of the U.S. Armed Forces has to deal with simply because he happens to be black and in a car that police find some reason, any reason to pull over. And even as he was unbelievably calm and cool under a situation that I suspect people of any color would have, you know, had a good reason to freak out about. So that video, it occurred to me as I watched it, that is the real story of America right now. And, oh, for the past, I don't know, several hundred years or so. And that is why people of all colors, by the way, were rioting and looting in Minneapolis and elsewhere last night. And that is why this must change or this cycle will continue repeating and repeating and repeating. And I guess I should add, particularly given what we're going to talk about next, if all of these disturbing videotapes that we now see so regularly, if in fact even one or two of them, really just one of them, were of you know a white right-wing Trump supporter being treated in this way, even once by a cop, no matter what color, but particularly if that cop had, boy, happened to be black, heads would roll and we would be in a race war by now, which arguably we are anyway, even if, even if it's a very one-sided war. Let's take a quick break here and the broadcast will continue right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to the Morrow family who uh, tipped me off to this tune on the Twitters. You can uh, tweet me, by the way. I am the Brad Blog. They, uh, the Morrow family sent that to me for a completely different, unrelated reason, but I thought it might be good for this segment. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, as noted in recent weeks on this show, I have been wildly troubled that the GOP has become so insane in recent months and arguably years uh, that we have been forced on this show lately to cite longtime party stalwarts like Congresswoman Liz Cheney, Dick's daughter, 
And uh, former you don't chuckle, Desi. I heard that. <laughs> and former U.S. House Speaker John Boehner, as if they were, as if they are the, the the sane, the not crazy ones in the party, even though both of them are wildly far to the right, and in truth, should not be lauded as heroes by anyone. Uh, and yet both of them have been lately. Boehner's got a new book out in which he beats up on his on his own party as uh, now calling them, you know, sort of off the rails and unrecognizable from the time that he served as Speaker of the House. I would argue that they, in fact, are quite recognizable. And uh, Liz Cheney, for her part, she's being seen as some, you know, by some on the left as some sort of a hero because she accidentally one time did the right thing in voting to impeach Donald Trump for having quite obviously incited the January 6th MAGA mob insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And I so I believe I've noted um, any time that I've had to cite those two. Correct me if I'm wrong, Des, but I uh, how insanely upside down the world has been become when Liz Cheney and John Boehner can be seen in any way <laughs> to be heroes uh, at this time. I mean, happily, Dick's daughter uh, reminds us that, well, you know, we ought to be careful about how we think of her these days uh, with some comments that she made on, on Sunday and Monday. On Monday, uh, Wyoming's only U.S. House member, uh, Liz Cheney argued that the Republican Party can, quote, turn a corner from former President Trump by outright condemning symbols of extremism that were on full display during the deadly Capitol insurrection that Trump incited. This was a discussion with Georgetown's Institute of Politics and Public Service on Monday when the third ranking House Republican, that's what Liz Cheney is, was asked about how the GOP could possibly turn a corner from the Trump years, especially when the party appears to have embraced the former president and all of his lies about the 2020 election, especially as fundraising emails from the National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC itself, uh, just last week threatened to, quote, tell Trump that uh, donors were defectors if the donors receiving these emails refused to agree to monthly donations to the GOP fundraising arm. Uh, after stressing that policy should be the main focus for the GOP and acknowledging that she did, in fact, vote in favor of a significant amount of policies under the Trump administration, pretty much all of them, uh, Liz Cheney said that the party can only move forward by very clearly rejecting symbols of extremism that were evident on January 6th. But I, I think it's really important, though, that that a party stand for substance and for policy. And and I think that the way the party has to go forward is by focusing on those policies um, and by very clearly rejecting what happened on January 6th by very clearly rejecting, um, you know, the the symbols that we saw on January 6th of anti-Semitism, um, Confederate flag in the rotunda. Yeah, good. Good for her. She's absolutely right. I completely agree with her, at least that far, <laughs> because then Cheney went on to say, essentially, that both parties have to do their part to condemn extremism. I think when you're talking about something like anti-Semitism, racism, white supremacy, 
those have to be rejected out of hand by anyone who is engaged um, in any level of, of our politics or our political discussion. Classic, classic. See what you did there? Both <laughs> yes. sides. Our, our side is terrible because we did this and that and this and that. Because we embrace racism and anti-Semitism. Right. But we did stuff like attack the U.S. Capitol to prevent a legitimate presidential election from being finalized while carrying symbols of the Confederacy that went to war against the United States to preserve slavery. But uh, the other side does stuff, too. So it's really it's a both sides thing. Same old horrible Liz Cheney, and she's supposed to be one of the good ones, I guess. And by the way, her her example of of how both sides do it, uh, she referred to Ilhan Omar, uh, who had made a comment uh, and uh, Cheney regarded as an anti-Semitic comment. It was a comment that she made that she didn't even know was actually uh, seen by some as anti-Semitic. And when she was told that, she immediately apologized. Yeah. That's the example that she compares to, well, what we saw on January 6th and everyone else. So, yeah, you know what? Let's look at both sides here, Liz Cheney. A recent report from the Department of Homeland Security described white supremacism and far right domestic extremism as, quote, the most persistent and lethal threat in the homeland. A new report out on Monday after this uh, DHS report, this from this one from an independent group and analyzed by The Washington Post, bears that charge out in hard numbers. Domestic terrorism incidents have soared to new highs in the U.S., driven chiefly by white supremacist, anti-Muslim, and anti-government extremists on the far right, according to a Washington Post analysis of data, of data that was compiled by the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS. The surge reflects a growing threat from homegrown terrorism with right-wing extremist attacks and plots greatly eclipsing those from the far left and causing more deaths over the past 25 years, which is the, the timeline essentially compiled uh, by this data, according to the analysis. The number of all domestic terrorism incidents in the, in the uh, data peaked last year in 2020. Since 2015, right-wing extremists have been involved in 267 plots or attacks, and have caused 91 fatalities, according to the data. At the same time, attacks and plots ascribed to the far left, uh, uh, to, to people with far left views, accounted for just 66 incidents, leading to 19 deaths. So 267 plots and 91 fatalities on the right, 66 incidents, and 19 on the left. Yes. Both sides do it, I suppose, but one side does it, oh, at about five or six times the rate as the other side. Seth Jones, the director of the database project at CSIS, which is a nonpartisan Washington-based nonprofit specializing in national security issues, said that, uh, quote, what is most concerning is that the number of domestic terror plots and attacks are at the highest they have been in decades. And it's so important for Americans to understand the gravity of that threat before it gets worse. 
But victims of all the incidents in recent years represent a broad section of American society, including blacks and Jews and immigrants and LGBTQ individuals and Asians and other people of color who have been attacked by right-wing extremists wielding vehicles and guns and knives and fists. Dozens of religious institutions, including mosques and synagogues and black churches, as well as abortion clinics and government buildings, have been threatened and burned and bombed and hit with gunfire over the past six years, by and large, from domestic terrorists on the right. The 73 far-right incidents in 2020 alone... Uh, we're at an all-time annual high in the CIS, CSIS database, which goes back to 1994. Left-wing attacks during 2020 were just 25. The Post focused its analysis primarily on far-right attacks since uh, 2015 because they account for what they describe as the clear majority of the rising domestic terrorism events and fatalities that are charted by CSIS. The data released on Monday includes the January 6th breach at the Capitol as just one of 11 far-right terrorism incidents that month alone. There were 11 of them, the most for any January in the database, again, going back 25 years. The new report highlights more involvement in far-right attacks and plots by military service members, veterans, and current and former police officers, some of whom participated in the riot at the Capitol. And now, of course, you may remember, I know you do, Des, because I have talked about this so many times over <laughs> the years on this show, uh, but back in uh, 2009, you remember this? Oh, yes. Just, uh, just after Barack Obama became president, a few months after a uh, DHS report was released with little controversy at all, Nobody cared. They put the thing out there. Nobody would have even heard about it, most likely, were it not for the second report. But the first report regarded the threat of terror attacks coming from the coming from far left groups. And then and nobody cared. Then the same uh, Department of Homeland Security released another report on right wing domestic terror threats, warning about threats posed by Republican militia members, by white supremacists and former military veterans, etc. That report, uh, which was actually begun during the George W. Bush administration, but it was released after Obama took office, that report caused one of those trademark phony outrage moments from Republicans and from Fox News demanding that the DHS Secretary Janet Napolitano at the time and the Obama administration retract this outrageous, insulting report, an attack on our service members. Oh, they lost their minds. They demanded that this be retracted, and then, to their eternal shame, uh, the Obama administration and Janet Napolitano eventually did retract this, uh, this uh, report uh, and eventually completely disbanded that particular office at DHS that had compiled this data on domestic terrorism threats. The, the office that had created both of those reports, they just did away with them because, you know, both sides, right? 
And in in what may be a, a not too dissimilar moment of uh, phony right wing outrage here, though this is just a guess. I noticed yesterday morning when I saw this report come out from Washington Post, uh, it was headlined quote. Domestic terrorism data shows right-wing violence on the rise. But when I went back a few hours later to pull it for use on the show, the headline had changed from domestic terrorism data shows right-wing violence on the rise to simply the rise of domestic extremism in America. Wouldn't want to upset any of those domestic terrorism purveyors of right-wing violence, I guess. Am I right, Washington Post? Because both sides. Am I right, Liz Cheney? The uh, the CSIS data shows that uh, far-right attacks diminished following a federal crackdown in response to the Oklahoma City bombing back in 1995. In that attack, Timothy McVeigh detonated a truck bomb outside a federal building, killed 168 people. That is still the deadliest homegrown terrorist attack of right or left in American history. Right-wing extremism then began gathering fresh momentum, according to the data, after the election of Barack Obama, for some reason, as the nation's first black president. According to uh, an April 2009 Department of Homeland Security intelligence assessment, by the way. Yeah, I I think that was the one that was actually withdrawn that they are now citing here. Yeah. Uh, It read uh, right wing extremists have capitalized on the election of the first African-American president and are focusing their efforts to recruit new members, mobilizing existing supporters and broaden their scope and appeal through propaganda. The assessment warned. The extended uh, before it was then retracted, the extended CIS CSIS review that was released this week enabled the post to determine that at least 15 attacks or plots involved predominantly black churches over the past six years, 15 attacks. And over the past six years, 16 mosques and 13 synagogues were also attacked or threatened by extremists on the far right, Liz. Uh, Members of militias and other extremist groups such as the KKK and the Aryan Cowboys, in case Liz Cheney is unclear, those would both be far right groups. They had roles in at least 67 attacks since 2015, according to the Post's examination. But a large majority of perpetrators appear from the data to be operating independently as loners who are prolific users of social media, out of which they assemble a jumble of uh, personal beliefs, including a tangle of white supremacy, anti-Semitism, misogyny, homophobia, and a host of baseless and debunked claims. The Post's review of the database found 30 attacks or plots attributed to right-wing violence against Black Lives Matter since 2015. A large majority of them uh, were just last year. Perpetrators beat BLM activists in the streets, attacked them with mace, knives, guns, explosives, according to the records. Right-wing extremists used their vehicles as weapons against activists, plowing into crowds of racial justice demonstrators on at least nine occasions over the past six years, according to the analysis. But, of course, how many times do we hear in the media, right-wing or otherwise, 
about these dastardly, dangerous BLM protesters and the threat that they pose to America. Versus how many times do we hear about those same BLM protesters actually being attacked? Looking at that, uh, that recent DHS study finding similar concerns about the rise now of domestic terrorism in the U.S., TPM's Josh Kavinsky reports that DHS efforts are also complicated by political realities. Now, the problem of how to deal with the threat of the far right persists unresolved in part because of how closely reactionary movements are tied to the Republican Party itself. A summary of an intelligence assess of, of intelligence assessments released last month warned that, quote, narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol and COVID-19 public health measures would, quote, almost certainly lead to further attacks this year. And they do appear to be right. Three months since the uh, mob of Trump supporters attacked the Capitol, just last week, a new Reuters Ipsos poll found that about half of Republicans actually believe that that siege was largely nonviolent protest or the work of left wing activists trying to make Trump look bad. Six in 10 Republicans also believe the false claim put out by Trump that November's presidential election was stolen from him due to widespread voter fraud. So, uh, yeah, there may be more danger to come if we bother to uh, notice whether Liz Cheney does or not. I can't tell you, but sure, it's both sides, Liz. You keep being you. And I'll keep reminding the nation that you, Liz Cheney, are no hero. But a real hero, the broadcast's Desi Doyen... <laughs> Joins us next for the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I, uh, I didn't put too much pressure on you there by calling you a, an American hero, did I? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I, I enjoy that label, and I'm sure no one else will ever use it. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Should have started this segment by playing the greatest American hero instead. <laughs> all right, anyway, let's find out just how heroic you are in our latest Green News report. We only had around 25 to 50 percent of the normal precipitation. That doesn't set us up well as we head into dry season. U.S. West sinks deeper into drought, setting up dangerous fire season. California unveils sweeping wildfire prevention plan. Plus, NOAA expects an above-average 2021 hurricane season and redefines the new normal. All of those redefinitions and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and 
snarky comment. Biden's also got a plan for U.S. infrastructure that would cover transportation, broadband, the electric grid, and housing, fix 20,000 miles of roads and 10,000 bridges, and eliminate lead pipes from the nation's water supplies. I'd say they'd thrown in everything but the kitchen sink, but the kitchen sink has lead pipes, so it's in there too. Perfect. I'll take it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, you say we are in for an above-normal hurricane season. Does that mean a worse-than-normal hurricane season? It could be. After a record-destructive hurricane season in 2020 that pushed storm names into the Greek alphabet, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration now predicts that 2021 will also be above-normal, and they've updated the definition of normal to reflect new data. It is official. More tropical storms are developing during the Atlantic hurricane season than in prior decades, fueled by warming ocean temperatures. Normal previously used to mean an average of six full-blown hurricanes in a single season. Now, Noah says it is seven. Oh, well, that's not too bad. Just one more? (laughs) Unless you're the one getting hit by the hurricane. I guess. It's the opposite problem in the U.S. West, sinking deeper into drought. It's only April, but parts of the West are already at midsummer levels of dryness. Mm. The U.S. Drought Monitor announced that 60% of the western U.S. is under severe to exceptional drought in New Mexico. The last 12 months have been the driest period in 120 years of record-keeping. Southwestern states are bracing for new water cutbacks along the over-allocated Colorado River. Gears of unrelenting drought and rising temperatures caused by man-made global warming have pushed the river into new territory, setting up the largest mandatory water cutbacks on record for a river that serves millions of people in seven western states. Because of the deepening drought, scientists fear that the 2021 fire season could be as destructive as last year's when both California and Colorado experienced record fire seasons. Today, California's mountain snowpack is less than 60% of normal, and its major reservoirs are only half full. Colorado's snowpack is melting now, earlier than usual. New studies show that global warming is lengthening dry spells and shrinking snowpack even in winter. CBS News meteorologist Jeff Berardelli explains that even if the West received more rain and snow, it would still not be enough. As temperatures increase, the evaporation overwhelms that. So unless we can stop global warming and climate change in its tracks, it's not going to be a great future for the West unless they can come up with some really phenomenal ways to manage this. Well, I just say that we stop global warming in its tracks, just like he suggests. (laughs) In California, a prosecutor has filed 33 new criminal charges against the investor-owned utility Pacific Gas and Electric Uh over the 2019 Kincaid fire, which was ignited by PG&E's aging, faulty electrical equipment. The fire injured six firefighters, destroyed hundreds of homes, and forced the evacuation of nearly 200,000 people. And yet California has still not just taken over PG&E like they're going to have to eventually? No, they have not. California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom and state lawmakers have agreed to a sweeping wildfire prevention plan allocating half a billion dollars to boost firefighting efforts and a variety of other measures, including vegetation management and retrofitting older homes for fire resistance. Half a billion dollars? Where are we going to get half a billion dollars? Luckily, because of tax increases that voters passed in previous ballot propositions, California now has 
some money to use toward fire prevention. Well, fancy that. The state is also adding massive utility-scale batteries for energy storage to reduce the impact of planned power shutoffs that are intended to prevent electrical equipment from igniting fires. Nice. The state Senate President Pro Tem says, quote, every dollar we spend on wildfire prevention saves our state six to seven dollars in damage. Very smart. What's gotten into these people? Finally, some very good news. In a last-minute settlement, two huge electric vehicle battery makers have reached a nearly $2 billion global settlement of a trade secrets case, which allows a new billion-dollar electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant to go forward in Georgia. That plant will supply batteries for Ford and Volkswagen electric vehicles. Without the settlement, the factory would have been blocked, costing thousands of jobs in a crucial swing state and threatening the supply of batteries for new EVs. Excellent. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Yes, please. If the battery makers can do it, can't we all do it? <laughs> uh, hey, Des, before we go, I didn't have time to ask you in the Green News report there, but you said that Noah was no longer uh, going to use the Greek letters of the Greek alphabet after running for, out of names for hurricanes. Yeah, for that overflow, and we have too many hurricanes that go past the uh, American, uh, the English alphabet. Yeah, why, and what are they going to use instead? Uh, so instead, they are going to just restart with the letter A. And new names starting with the letter a, with the letter A. But the reason why they ended the Greek letters was because uh, so many of them occur one after the other. They sound really similar. And during the 2020 hurricane season, three storms, Zeta, Eta, and Theta, all occurred at the same time. And that led to really difficult messaging <laughs> problems. And so they also said that too much emphasis was being placed on the storm's unusual name and less on the impacts mm. in the forecast that people should have been paying attention to. And then also some uh, Greek alphabet names came can be confusing when translated into other languages uh, that are spoken uh, across the North Atlantic Ocean Basin. And also, I suspect, if uh, Hurricane Alpha hits, does damage, then we have another Hurricane Alpha the very next year. Uh, there will be all even more confusion. Yes, about it. Got so, it. That's thank one of the you very reasons, much. Yeah. All right, we got to get out. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of this fine broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by listeners and readers alike who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to uh, help Desi and I uh, continue to do what we try to do every day at the blog and here on your public airwaves. Um, you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. You'll find me at the Brad Blog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm